As a returning veteran attending a Midwestern Regional State University, the GI Bill and Illinois' tuition waiver for veterans just about covered my expenses. But with a wife and a two-year-old child, a part-time job meant the difference between taking out student loans and emerging from college debt-free. I'd worked as a disc jockey for the college jazz format radio station, and later as the copy editor for the Daily Student newspaper. Each job earning just enough to pay for a student center lunch of French fries with lots of ketchup, because the ketchup was free, and the occasional weekend draft beer at the college student hangout. The student jobs on campus ran out my final quarter. My final quarter was a summer one. I went to school year-round so I could graduate as soon as possible. With a family to support, I didn't have the luxury of taking my time to finish up a bachelor's degree. No gap year, nor study abroad program for me. Well, maybe my gap years were courtesy of Uncle Sam and the U.S. Air Force, but then that was the price paid for the GI Bill stipend and the State of Illinois Veterans Tuition Waiver Scholarship. My last quarter of school meant the required journalism internship. For nine hours credit and no pay, I spent three days a week working as a general assignment reporter for the Belleville, Illinois News Democrat, a suburban St. Louis Daily newspaper, and the largest newspaper south of Springfield. Although it was a great experience and wound up getting me my first job out of undergraduate school, the lack of pay meant that I had to find part-time work somewhere. Scouring the jobs bulletin board at the student center, I spotted a 3 by 5 index card asking for strong, physically fit students for manual labor. It didn't say anything about writing or photography skills, but it paid a bit more than minimum wage, and I needed a job. My telephone interview consisted of a guy asking me, How big are you? Well, I'm not that big. I'm 5'8 and 160 pounds, but I played fullback and linebacker in high school football, came my reply. Oh, okay. You ever use a cutting torch? No, but I worked as a weld grinder on the welding line at Caterpillar for a summer. That's where you take a grinder and grind corrosion, slag, and any other crap adhering to steel to get down to bare, shiny metal. So a weld forms a tight bond between pieces of steel. It's a dirty, monotonous, and occasionally painful job. The pain coming in when the molten slag burns through your sleeves or your jeans or drops inside your welding gloves. Evidently, my minimal qualifications satisfied the interviewer. He hired me for the buck an hour or so more than minimum wage. You'll be cutting old barges into scrap steel, he said. Wear boots, thick jeans, and a long sleeve shirt. Bring your lunch and a gallon jug of water. He then told me how to get to the job site. Driving to the job site, I wondered what I'd gotten myself into. But I needed the money. Turn left off Highway 3, across from Comet Co., between Granite City and Hartford, and follow the road back to the river, he told me. Granite City the begrimed home of steel mills, shotgun houses, and working man's taverns. Hartford, home of oil refineries, chemical plants, and EPA Superfund hazardous waste sites. It's the town that sits on a pool of underground carcinogenic chemicals floating atop its water supply. The river? The Mississippi River. 
America's industrial pipeline of oil-bearing, coal-filled, chemical-laden barges. I drove through the soybean-lined, floodplain fields to the tree-line edge of the river. Rusting hulks of barges sat on the muddy banks. A couple of battered used cars and two workmen greeted me. One of the workers was a mid-40s laid-off steel worker who'd run out of unemployment benefits and needed something to tide him over until the steel mills reopened, if they ever would. The other, like me, a college student who needed a summer job. They'd been working there several weeks and filled me in on the operation. The boss had a small company that contracted with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers to raise sunken barges from the river channel so they didn't impede the quarter-mile-long tows that supply America's grain exports and industrial economy. The Corps, as the Army Corps of Engineers is called up and down Middle America's river systems, is responsible for maintaining navigation channels and flood control systems. The boss would take a towboat to the side of a sunken barge, dive into the muddy water, compressed air hose in hand, insert it into the water-filled barge, blow compressed air in, forcing the water out so the barge would come to the surface. The barge would then be pushed to our worksite, directly across from the Missouri River's confluence with the Mississippi. The boss wasn't around much, He was usually out on the river bidding jobs. Twenty minutes of instruction, and work began. Okay, here's how you light the torch. You cut a hole in the side of the barge big enough to get into the bulkhead. Then you cut the steel crossbeams holding the outer hull and the inner hull wall to the end of the barge. Then we cut the hull into sections. Easy enough, I thought. No rocket science here. Button up the heavyweight fatigue shirt left over from Air Force days. Put on ball cap to protect head from flying sparks. Face shield pulled down to protect eyes and face. Welding gloves that run halfway to the elbows. Fire up the acetylene torch and commence cutting a two-foot by three-foot hole in the half-inch steel plate that forms the outer hull. The rust flakes off as the steel melts under the 6,000-degree blue flame. This ain't so bad, I think, as I pull the torch down an imaginary line to cut the opening in the hull. Oh, sure, it's summer in southern Illinois. The humidity rising off the river matches the temperature to make it a sweat bath. But at least I'm outside, working in the shade of the riverbank trees. I'm making money, and nobody's bothering me. Even if somebody were talking to me, I probably couldn't hear them over the hiss of the torch and my focus on the job at hand. Minutes later, the quarter-inch wide rectangular gap the torch has melted through the steel completed I raised my right combat boot-clad foot and kicked the steel plate into the hull. The hole just big enough for me to step through and into the hull. Pulling behind me the hoses leading from the torch back to the oxygen and gas bottles that feed the steel-eating flame. Oh, shit, I think. Let me tell you what the inside of a barge hull that's been sunk on the Mississippi, refloated and then left to rust on a mud bank smells like. My shoulders touch the corroded steel hull on either side. The only light comes in from the entryway I've just cut. The acrid smell of the steel melting under relentless blue flame is overwhelmed by the rotting stench of Mississippi River mud, and God only knows what carcinogens it contains from decades of chemical contamination and sewage flowing over it. I fire the torch back up, but not before the snakes, spiders, and assorted creeping, crawling, and flying critters 
are unhappy at my intrusion. The shade of the tree does little to appease the sun-baked steel, absorbing the heat like a cast-iron skillet. I begin the process of cutting the steel members that hold the barge together as I edge forward on my knees. Sweat trickles down my back, soaks my underwear, then my jeans, and even the leather belt. The fumes penetrate my nostrils as the swampy smell of the bilge occasionally pierces the soot covering my nostrils. Fifteen minutes inside the hull requires backing down the claustrophobically narrow hull to the jagged entry, climbing out and guzzling water from the gallon jug. Backing out is required as there isn't room to turn around in the hull. To stay longer than fifteen minutes risks heat stroke or dehydration. A few minutes of gulping water and breathing air contaminated only with the fumes of the relatively distant oil refineries and chemical plants is a welcome relief from that of the enclosed hull, dying a slow death from the cannibalizing human devouring it from the inside. As the day wore on, the cutting torch, wielded by wearying hands, drew closer to the end of the barge. As I neared the curved end of the hull, the few remaining steel beams bore more and more pressure, as the outward hull had little left to bind it to the barge's bulk. With each beam cut, the steel member snapped at me with a sprang as the torch finished melting the last half-inch or so of steel. Arms grew wearier yet as I extended them forward to slice the dying barge's ribs from its skeleton. I knew that to be too close to those broken ribs risked the molten end of a wounded beam slashing into my body as it broke free. Onward I slashed, while the hull moaned as she broke apart in the mud. Six weeks later, diploma in hand, I commenced my first adult career, wearing a white shirt and tie, pounding a typewriter in a suburban daily newsroom, boots and gloves in the bottom of the closet, just in case I need them again. I'm glad to be shed of the cobwebs, burned scabs, and black soot-filled nostrils. I've had better summer jobs, but never one that taught me more.